This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA's Jesse Hook speaks with Caroline Vanderlip, CEO and founder of Redish. and I'm a candidate at Bard's Programs of Sustainability. I'm super excited today to be conducting a conversation with Caroline Vanderlip, who is the founder and CEO of Redish. Redish delivers and collects containers and cups, cleans, sanitizes them um, at your own industrial facility, and then returns those same dishes back to your customers uh, to be reused. You service corporate cafeterias and pantries, arenas, K-12 schools, production sets, and anywhere food is served at large scale. Um, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about that business and your experience with it. Let's see. So what I read is that you guys started in 2020, and we all know what that year is famous for. (laughs) So I would love to hear a little bit what it was like to launch such an innovative sustainability business about reusing dishes in the midst of the global pandemic, and maybe also how it's grown and changed to now. Sure. So timing is everything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, In in all uh, fairness, we I actually started working on the concept in November of nineteen, prior Mm -hmm. to knowing that there was a you know pending pandemic um, on the horizon. Uh, But um, and then we incorporated in May of twenty. I think that our thinking did shift, but it wasn't because of the pandemic. Um, our thinking really shifted, my thinking really shifted um, because I recognized that we were still in the early stages of the circular economy um, and um, consumers' understanding of what that actually meant and therefore their willingness to um, participate in the circular economy. And so I really, um, we, we started... Uh, like a lot of other players focused on takeout because takeout waste is huge, as we all know, and only getting larger. Uh, But we pivoted pretty quickly in 20 to a focus on institutions because we recognized that there was an opportunity to impact huge numbers of people in an institutional setting that you couldn't do as a one-off on the consumer side. We also recognized that because it was so early in the circular economy understanding that to educate and change a consumer's behavior so that they understood that instead of throwing something away, they should actually return it, whatever the mechanism was for that return, was um, a big lift. Um, You don't change consumer behavior easily. And, um, you know, this was. You know, I I joke sometimes people don't want dirty containers in their knapsack. Uh, you know, it's it's not an easy um, process to educate to, even if the message of 
we can't manage waste, we have to reduce it, which is our mantra, um, mm -hmm. is important. You know, having a consumer who actually understands what needs to be done to make that happen is very complicated. So we pivoted pretty quickly to the institutional side because we saw a huge opportunity both to influence a lot of people at the same time from a mission perspective, but also from a business perspective to um, be able to serve uh, a lot of people at the same time. What that required, of course, was the back end infrastructure to be able to deliver reuse at scale. And that is really where I think we have made our mark. Uh, we have spent two years uh, developing the infrastructure and the software and the operational processes um, to deliver up to 75,000 units per day on one operational line. And um, then you can see that you can add lines to really get to even greater scale. So going back to your original question, um, our pivot was less to do with COVID and more to do with how could we make a greater impact in a shorter period of time. Yeah, that's great to hear. And does make a lot of sense when you're talking about the education point and also working with one institution rather than a myriad of consumers, you're able to really target your information and how things flow within your company. Fascinating. Um, so I'm interested when you're talking about the infrastructure behind your operations, you mentioned creating the line. Is that the line of... Um, of washing those dishes, of creating the dishes, what's happening within the behind the scenes? Sure. So um, the manufacture of the dishes obviously um, takes place elsewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't have an injection molding machine in our space. Um, and we um, manufacture some of our product directly and other um, SKUs are actually licensed through third parties. So that product, which is everything from plates to cups to clamshells, et cetera, comes into our facility. Um, it is labeled and barcoded. Uh, so every, uh, every skew, every piece of skew um, actually has a unique QR code on it, which allows us to track that particular plate cup container, et cetera, through the ins and outs and inflows and outflows of a reusable system, um, which is a lot of the software that we've built, mm -hmm. which is to do that data tracking. Um, but behind the scenes, our uh, dirty containers and plates and cups get collected. Uh, they get brought uh, by our logistics team to our facility. Um, they are scraped clean because they never come back um, actually clean. <laughs> uh, they're scraped clean and then they are uh, loaded into some, onto a conveyor with some mechanical automation that we've developed, which allows them essentially to drop on the conveyor uh, in real time and then get loaded and scanned onto a 50 foot flight machine 
uh, I call it a car wash for, for dishes, or but it be it could be a car wash <laughs> for any reusable product, just happens to right. be because that's what we do. Um, and then on the other end, uh, there are some operations folks who are picking and packing it. Um, I think the beauty of our system is that not, not only can it deliver scale, but it really delivers uh, both efficiency and more importantly, quality control. Um, mm -hmm. No hands ever touch these containers from the moment they get loaded onto the flight machine to the moment they're actually packed and put into reusable totes and sealed and put into inventory to go out again the next day or the day after that, whatever, to our clients. So um, it's not only a process uh, with terrific efficiency uh, and scale, but it's also a process with incredible cleanliness, much more so than single use. So all the problems with single use that we all know about, um, mostly that they all go to landfill and there's a huge amount of waste um, related to single use. Um, we're all also addressing the cleanliness factor uh, and um, you know, believe the process of reuse actually delivers things cleaner than anything you can get in single use. That is something really, really comforting to hear, especially as a consumer, because with COVID, we heard so much of like, oh, reusable anything, that's dirty. So really emphasizing that cleanliness aspect is comforting to hear. You know, that's um, a very, very frustrating. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think the the various industries did a good job in suggesting that reusable was not clean and that is 100% not the case. It's great PR, but unfortunately, not necessarily accurate. Well, I'm glad that you, Caroline, and Redish are here to change that narrative. <laughs> um, quick question, what's the lifespan of your products? You did mention earlier you were able to track it within the system. How long do they usually last so far within your two years? Uh, well, we've got over 150,000 pieces of inventory uh, mm -hmm. which we circulate on a regular basis. So I think at this point, any one dish hasn't actually been used more than 30 times. Uh, but that being said, they've been Ecolab tested to be washed over a thousand times. And only over the next couple of years will I be able to answer that accurately. But our assumption is at least a couple of hundred uh, for each piece in inventory. Great. Well, we look forward to circling back and hearing an update as y'all continue to grow. So we kind of went over this earlier about your target customers, and I'm curious if there's anyone um, or anything you'd like to add to that to expand upon what institutions you work with, what that relationship looks like. So uh, we work with a whole slew of Fortune uh, 500 companies. Mm -hmm. uh, who unfortunately uh, don't want their names presented, <laughs> but okay. um, it is really frustrating because they're doing great work and you would hope that they'd want to advertise that. But if, if you know anything about big Fortune 500 brands, they're very insular. Uh, but yes, we work with a lot of Fortune 500 co companies. We work with cultural institutions like the Museum of Modern Art. Uh, and we work with a whole slew just starting this past September of schools, K through 12 schools, uh, including School in the Square, which is um, 
uh, a pair of charter schools up in Washington Heights, uh, Poly Prep, which is an independent school in Brooklyn and others. So right now we're very focused on K through 12 schools and corporate cafeterias. Uh, we uh, expect that we'll be able to add, oh, and production sets. Uh, we do work with HBO um, and uh, have worked done some work with Amazon Studios and Netflix. Uh, obviously those are finite, you know, start and finish. Uh, so they're not ongoing um, because they're particular shows or sets, uh, but we're very excited about that business as well that we've been doing for the last year and a half. Um, we expect that we'll add um, healthcare facilities, universities, uh, and um, arenas to the mix in 2023. And we're very excited about that. Amazing, amazing. And that kind of feeds perfectly into a question I had about growth of your company and your projections for the next few years. Um, you mentioned the institutions that you're hoping to work with moving forward. Are those all based in the New York area? And are there any other projections you might like to add about your hopes and dreams for the company? Sure. Um, uh, we are currently servicing the New York City DMA. Uh, we are making plans to expand that in the second quarter of 2023. Stay tuned for those locations. I'm not at liberty at the moment to share those, but uh, we will be in two other of the top 20 markets uh, by the end of the second quarter. Um, you know, our our vision is to extend the redish capability across the country um, and across groups. Uh, I think you know you you and your and your listeners fully appreciate that uh, there's a huge amount of waste and we have to do something about it. Uh, you know, the number that Upstream published was that there were, there are 10, uh, no, what is it? 1 trillion uh, pieces of food service packaging, just food service packaging um, every wow. year in the US equaling about 10 million tons of waste. Um, so, you imagine, well, at least I imagined when I started this, that the actual replacement of a single-use container or dish in food service with a reusable program would be impactful, but I honestly never imagined how impactful it could be, because when you start aggregating thousands of uses every day across weeks, across months and years, um, the, the numbers are pretty astounding. Um, I think in the last six months alone, with just our introductory customers, we've already diverted over 32,000 pounds of waste just from food service packaging. So, you know, our vision is to expand that exponentially, um, both within markets that we're already working with, as, as well as additional markets. Every little bit counts, but in the case of redish, it's a lot of big bits <laughs> and a lot of um, dishes that have been taken out of landfills. So, what's really important for us from the mission perspective, which is um, front and center to everything we do, is that climate change as a concept is so so overwhelming. Um, you know, it's we certainly can understand it intellectually but how we as individuals can actually contribute um, to its to problem solving the issue, it's really hard. 
And, um, you know, I don't know that we as individuals have a, a true appreciation for uh, the solar and the windmills and all the other things that are being um, implemented because um, they don't touch us directly. But here's an opportunity for each individual to actually um, take pride in the fact that they are doing something that can help alleviate this issue. And we think that's a real, really important aspect of what we're doing at Redish. Yeah, thank you for adding that. Uh, especially also I see the potential in consumers feeling good about other things they're consuming, such as the institutions that you work with, like feel good about where their kids go to school, feel good about the shows they're watching on HBO and Netflix because they know these institutions are integrating a sustainable framework into something as simple as what their their crews eat and what their students eat and how they eat. There's also so. a lot of, um, you know, not a lot of data, I shouldn't say that. There's also research that supports the fact that if you can educate a student when they're young into circular behavior, that they actually will take that learning and habit into other aspects of their life. So our goal is to have outsized returns and outsized rewards for the environment. So that if I can teach a, a kid at eight about circular by reusing dishes, then they'll go home, they'll influence their families, their peers, their friends, um, and maybe they'll you know, think twice before they you know, go and buy a dress, right? Or go in and um, you know, look at other aspects outside of just dishware, right? It's, it's, a, it's a way of introducing the concept of circular into people's lives with the hope that it extends way beyond dishware. And quickly, if you could talk about if banning of PFAS in food packaging is affecting your company. And for listeners who aren't aware, PFAS is a collection of chemicals that has been found in plastics to be um, very negative on, on human health. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and if it's uh, affected Redish. There are seven designations for plastic. Uh, Redish actually uses uh, plastic number five, which is polypropylene. And there are there is no BPA and there's no PFAS in polypropylene. Wonderful, great. <laughs> so it sounds like that was, yeah, already in consideration. Why would we present, uh, you know, a solution that would just aggravate a terrible situation? No, absolutely. We're very, very on top of it, very aware. Um, and, and honestly, Jesse, you know, we use polypropylene for our containers because it really is the only um, material right now that supports reusability at scale. Um, you know, you can use, as we just, you know, talked about, you know, it's certified up to a thousand washes. More importantly, if you look at one of our containers after 30 washes, um, it looks brand new. It's pristine. You know, it. We, if there are scratches on it, if there's a stain, if there's a smell, we take it out of rotation, we pelletize it and use it in different products. So the, the beauty of polypropylene is it looks brand new, no different than when you go to a restaurant and you have a China plate. You know, if that China plate 
you know, is all scratched up, you don't want it, right? Because you understand that somebody has used it 30 minutes before, but you don't need a reminder of that. And uh, we subscribe to the same theory and we have not found any other material that can withstand the kind of washes and use that reusability um, extends to. Uh, once we do, we will be the first per we will be the first people in line to consider it. Oh, great! Yeah. Well, it's it's also great to hear that number five plastics exist and have all these benefits associated with them. Because sometimes it seems that the reusable plastics out there, no plastics out there, really have a very short lifespan, have a whole host of negatives associated with them. So the fact that that kind of plastic exists that can be reused and um, look good at the end of that process is, is comforting to hear. So for me as an MBA student and for a lot of listeners of this podcast, I think we have a lot of people in the virtual room that are maybe interested in starting businesses of their own, uh, being entrepreneurs in their spaces. I'm curious if you could offer any advice to any aspiring entrepreneurs um, that could be listening today. Uh, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, the, um, it's thrilling to create something new and it's the hardest work you'll ever do because um, the, Businesses rarely develop in the way you imagine. Um, there are huge pivots, as we explained. We already, you know, we did a pivot early on, uh, but it won't be the last, I suspect, um, just from having done this before. Um, there are very few supports. Uh, so, you know, as a core team, you're really wearing a lot of hats. Uh, and need to be comfortable with that. Um, also, when you're doing something as new as we are at Redish, there are no benchmarks, right? There is nothing to compare yourself to because you're literally creating a new industry. And as I said, that that's thrilling. That's really exciting, uh, particularly if you're mission focused as we are. Uh, but it's also a lot of trial and error. Um, and, you know, it's easier to go out and say, I like what company X is doing, but I think I have a better mousetrap. It's quite different to say, there's a huge problem here and we're setting ourselves out to solve it, but have no benchmark uh, to do so. So it is, um, uh, it's, as I said, it's thrilling. I'm so excited by what we are doing at Redish. We have a terrific team of very committed, dedicated uh, folks across the board from client services to business development to technology, um, all of whom are really giving their heart and soul because of the mission. And um, it's exciting to do, but you really need to talk to other people who have done it to understand what you're getting into. I have started a bunch of businesses in my career. I, um, 
I knew what I was getting myself into uh, and what we were, what, you know, uh, from a early business perspective, um, you know, it's, it's good to have that background or at least to have advisors who can support you in that effort. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about Redish. Thank you for talking with me. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot on Instagram and tag Impact Report Podcast. Learn more about Redish's Reusables program by visiting them at redish.com. And be sure to head to greenbiz.com or impactentrepreneur.com to read a recap of our conversation. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, January 27th. We'll be speaking with Rob Keenan of Boxed Water. Interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, circular economy, and more about how they launch their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industries. Visit gps.bard.edu resources today.